0: They call me crazy, Jack. And I, I think crazy is good.
1: We are crazy, but we're not stupid. You keep pushing because you believe in yourself and in your vision. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. The Crazy TV Podcast.
0: And we are here with Bill Homewood. Bill, thank you so much for being on the Crazy TVT Podcast and welcome. It's so-
1: always a pleasure to see you, Johannes.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. So for those who don't know Bill Homewood, uh, you should because he's amazing. He has a great and uh, eccentric career. So Bill is not a random guest. He has been a neighbor. He has been a mentor. He has been a source of inspiration for me. That's true. That's uh, He helped me a lot on many uh, topics. And he's the perfect guest for the Crazy TVT podcast because of his career that is creativity uh, itself so he started off as a musician then he moved to, into a, a theater then he was a classical actor for years he hosted his own show on BBC TV for a children's show then he went to audio recordings he won many awards um, for this so it's not just a uh, A side thing he does uh, including the the audiophile earphones award in the usa Uh, he also won a couple of times the audiobook of the year uh, and he has been nominated for the od uh, 2021 so it's kind of the the oscars for audio recordings from what i understood and of course, he's also a poet. Uh, he's uh, written a couple of amazing books. He's going to tell us all about it, where he finds his, his inspiration, uh, how he writes his books. And there is so much to talk about. So I'm super excited. And I just wanted to start with how I know Bill, because he's not a random guest, as I said. Um, he lives in the Cévennes in south of France and my family has a house there, and uh, Bill is our neighbor. So when we go to vacation in the summertime, that's where Bill usually lives. And I think um, Bill has been an inspiration for me because uh, he's here, so I'm going to talk to him directly. Uh, Bill, you're passionate into everything you do. Um, So the first question I want to ask, and seeing all your career and all those different facets and all those different experiences that you have. My question is, how do you put your mind into something until you master it? Because you're very passionate. And when your mind is into some like a laser focus and you go until as far as you can, basically.
1: Well, um, actually, thank you for that amazing introduction i (laughs) i I impressed myself listening to you (laughs) Um, actually i was talking with uh, knowing i was going to be talking to you i was talking with uh, my wife estelle about this interview and i said to her because she said something like you just said about um the many things that um that i've uh, done and, and uh, to whatever degree I could that I mastered in my time. And, you know, I remember when I was a small boy already that I used to bury myself with projects. I always did. So mm. I, it's not an effort for me. I have lived, I think I've lived, I'm 74, and I think I've lived my, uh, 70 of those years with a project always at all times and when I was younger I, I used to recommend to young actors that they have at least five projects at any given time. I used to call them balloons and I used to say one of those balloons will always come into land while the other four are up in the air and I, I, I can truthfully say that i've applied that as a mantra to my own uh, career always have a project always have several balloons in the air and do a little something for your career every day that's what i tell students and at 74 i believe i still do that but when i was a boy i remember my father was a, a congregational minister a minister of the church and I remember somebody came to the house and asked, because they knew I painted, I did a lot of painting, and I did posters um, for um, local events and so on. I used to design them. And they said, "Would I do a poster for um, a, a month-long festival about the creation, uh, the the fanciful event uh, as I now see it. And I actually did an 80 metre frieze around a a local hall, all the walls covered with this frieze, starting with Noah and going all all the way around. I remember painting it obsessively for about two or three months before it was finished. And then I bought wallpaper and then we unrolled the wallpaper and put it on the wall. And I think that was my first project that I can remember. Um, Then, of course, I learned to play the guitar. Once I fell in love with the guitar at the age of 14, um, I didn't think about anything else. Um, I would play, I took it to school on my back. I would play it in every break, every lunchtime. I would play it obsessively on the train on the way home from school. I would play it at home all evening. I would listen to guitarists and copy them. And so on. I think I've always learned by watching experts. I think I can truthfully say that I am as excited to watch a good electrician or a good plumber uh, at work with their fantastically practiced skills as I am watching a great singer or a masterful actor on stage. I love professionalism. I love the tidy, organized, and easy practiced hands at work. The craft. I really, yeah, craft. That's my word. I don't like the word art very much. Um, I've, I've said that. I think I said it to you once, but I don't like the word art because if you see, for instance, my craft of acting, if you see it as an art, then you may start to teach it as something um, uh, ephemeral, something magical. You may start to use what I call the gobbledygook, the quackery of lingo to describe what ought to be described as a craft. I really don't want to be told to be centered. I don't want to pretend to be a plastic bag melting into the floor. Uh, what I like is to know where the lights are, know where the audience is, know my lines, and have studied the scene and the script and the writer and so on um, in order to feel secure. That that is a, a craft. And then if I may, without sounding glib, explain that a little better, if you have two carpenters, um, I mean by carpenters, I mean um, uh, cabinet makers, ebenistes rather than charpentier in French. Um, if you have two and you give them each the same table to build, you give them the plans and the same timber, one of those tables may be very beautiful and the other one may be perfectly functional, but not as beautiful. Both men are craftsmen, but one of them is an artist. But I am not at all sure that we can teach art. We can make suggestions. So the artist craftsman, he may have noticed the grain of the wood and he may see a little knot in the wood which looks like a bird and he may think, I will put that in the middle of the top of the table. The other craftsman, the other carpenter will build his table without thinking artistically, but it will be functionally good. It will have a beauty because functionality is beautiful, but it may not be so artistic. I think the the artistry is very often an instinct and a flair and a talent, but that we should teach the craft in order for the artistry to come forward. But I'm sounding like an old man now and I should go back to when I was a boy and learning the guitar. (laughs) I went on to music college uh, as a musician and I studied singing because I always had a good voice. I was in many choirs. I um, was already working semi-professionally as a cabaret artist when I went to the Guildhall School of Music in London, which is a conservatory, a very good conservatory. And I studied singing, opera, and I took the guitar as my second instrument. We had to learn the piano a bit. I think you're a pianist, aren't you, Johannes, if I remember? Is that correct? Uh I think you are, yes. Um, I had to learn the piano because this was supportive of voice study, um, but the guitar was my love. So as soon as I was allowed, I took the guitar as my second study, and then I started teaching the guitar, while I was at the Guild Hall. And I then ran a guitar school while I was still a student in London. And I started to teach in schools. And I taught in 16 schools and colleges, which supported me through college and on into the early days of my profession. When I uh, started to perform on children's television, at the same time, as working as an opera singer uh, as a young professional so already at the beginning of my career it was um eccentric as to use your word but what you didn't mention and i don't even know if you know this is that i have a, a crazy skill which is that i can talk backwards no i can talk backwards without even thinking about it and so in my early days on television, I became in Britain, what you might call a, a children's television personality. And they called me the Backwoods Man. And I was on a regular um, Saturday morning children's television show and on several other shows as well. I think I was on about six or seven shows uh, for children's television for, for years. Uh, Right up until the mid seventies, I was on children's television and and on I think, yes, on into the early eighties, I think so. I'll explain about talking backwards. Um, I see everything forwards and backwards. I see shapes forwards and backwards and I see words forwards and backwards. So that for instance, you could say any sentence to me And I will immediately say it from the last letter to the front letter, uh, immediately. And of course, this was, I'll I'll give you an example. If you said, um, that's a hot potato, I would say straight away, top toch astacht. Potato is top," hot is toch, that's er, by spelling is astacht. And so children used to phone in the television station, BBC television, and challenge me and of course I because repeating something forwards and backwards is the same to me of course I I never got it wrong but I it was very useful it got me lots of other uh, children's television and that went on until um until I joined the Royal Shakespeare Company as a musician because I could play the lute and the guitar so I was a minstrel and then it became harder for my agent. They didn't really know what I was. Now you, Johannes, today, you are multi-talented. You do many things. You're an actor, you're a musician, you're a judoist, you're a presenter, you're a public speaker, and an influencer, and, and an important human being. But when I was your age, we didn't do so many things. People were suspicious of you If you were what we used to call multi-talented and so it was hard for my agent to represent me when i was on children's television talking backwards one minute and working with the royal shakespeare company the next minute and as i moved more into theater and started taking major roles in the classics i had to make a kind of choice and so i stopped doing um work involving music. Occasionally, um, I played um, a Blondel on television in a television series, and I had to play the, a little portable harp. I did that for instance, but that was like an act, an acting role with music. But it was many years before I went back on the stage as a singer, before I felt secure enough as an actor to risk performing in a major way as a singer. It was years and society changed in that time and it became possible to be an actor who sings or a singer who acts. So, wait, 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 I want you to,
0: because we, we talk about so many things and that's super interesting, of course, but I would like you to say <laughs> the T V T podcast backwards, first
1: of all. The, the Creativity podcast. The
0: Creativity
1: podcast. Oh, Creativity! Okay. Podcast to suck dot wait a minute what is the word crazy activity <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> 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 wow did you <laughs> doing, <laughs> doing it <laughs> damn okay so if you That's... want to say the, the crazy activity podcast is great then backwards that is tyric see to suck dot zark when I, hesitate, when I hesitate, it wasn't because I can't do it backwards. It's because I couldn't remember the word forwards.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, worries. but that's that's crazy. But I remember you you told me you you made sentences for me when I uh, when we oh, met okay. a couple of times. You did it, and I was like, this is so crazy. But of course, everything you said is way more interesting about um your career in acting and your identity. And all that, and I want to come back to that.
1: It's not I, I think I might have been a bit boring. I, once no, I get no, on no. To my thing about about mystique and technique and about art and craft and so it was one of my I questions my guiding mantras. <laughs> it was one of my questions, but
0: maybe for people um, listening to us, they wanted to more, know a little bit about your beginnings. Um, you know, if you 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 come out of the um, you were saying, I studied music, and then I start singing and I'm into that and I'm a, a, a semi-pro. And so how did you how did you get your first gigs? What was your mindset when you started? You know, for people who want to, you know, young people looking at, at yeah. this podcast, maybe? Can, what can you say about that?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I did. Um, and then if that is useful to young people listening, you know, they can do the same. But it came out of a passionate need to perform. I'm afraid, I'm a whore, I'm a prostitute, <laughs> I, I can't get enough of it. I from, from when I was a small boy, I was always a show-off, and at every opportunity, I showed off. So I had a really good voice, uh, even as a as a boy soprano, and then when my voice broke, uh, it was still a good voice. I was a baritone. I started singing in church choirs, and then in in um, non-church choirs, and then as soon as I learned the guitar at the age of 14 I remember I had been playing the guitar for one month and I went to a folk concert at which there was a quite a famous, um, two quite famous folk singers performing. And during the performance I got out of my chair and I went round the back of the stage, and asked who, if there was anybody there, like a manager or somebody. And a, a man <laughs> came over to me and I said, can I perform today? And he said, so yeah, of course you can, after uh, they, they finished. Uh, uh, and I did. And I'd only been playing the guitar for a month. I, I sang a Joan Baez song, a folk song. Um, uh, uh, it was a Negro spiritual, actually, I remember. Um, anyway, so every, at every opportunity I performed, mm. and because I had a good voice, um, I then auditioned and got into the conservatory to study singing with a view to becoming a singer. I did not know that my career would take me into theatre. And so you,
0: you, you, never thought, you never thought of a normal job any, in any case,
1: right? No. No, <laughs> Never, at any time. Yeah. When I was a little boy, people used to say to me, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I used to say, I want to be, I want to be a singer. When my son was a little boy, um, he was very keen on dancing. And so he used to say, I want to be a dancer when I grow up. And then one day, when he was about nine, somebody at school said to him, dancing is for girls it's a sissy thing it's a it's a girls thing dancing so the next time somebody asked ben my son ben asked him what he wanted to do when he grew up he said i'm going to be a dancing policeman (laughs) (laughs) that's even worse (laughs) yeah but a policeman is more manly (laughs) in fact of course he's an actor and a very good actor
0: yeah, and it's great. I met him and several times, and he's um, it's his son. It's his son. He's great, um, and he has the same kind of energy. I love that. But also, also when you are this kind of person who uh, can do many things, and you can sing, and you can play guitar, and I know, uh, remember, we talked about that once because as a magician, it's kind of the same. Every time you go to a party or you go somewhere, people see you as as this amusement guy you know oh you're invited to the party bring the guitar and you're like am I really invited or am I (laughs) invited to play you know so how did you manage that
1: well I was aware that I got invited to parties because of the guitar Um, but I loved that so that wasn't Mm -hmm. a problem for me that became a problem 20 years later when I was in my 40s and Uh, my wife and I would be asked out, and they would say, would you bring your guitar? Mm. And then sometimes I resented it. Uh, I always said yes, but sometimes I didn't like it as much because I, I just wanted to go out. Also, because it was what I did for a living. That was how I... That was my profession. And so I didn't always want to do that when when i became um, a full-time actor from about 1979 i suppose i was working as an actor more than half the time and when i became more of an actor um especially touring in america which i did a lot of i spent six years there altogether in america people would sometimes if you were at a party and, you, and they say, what do you do? And you say, I'm an actor. What sort of acting do you do? I do Shakespeare. I do the classics. Oh, oh, do some Shakespeare now, they would say. <laughs> Out of context. that yeah. know, It's wrong. I think that um, I think that I shouldn't hate it as much as I do. But when we act, we, we go into a state, we concentrate. And in a, at a party with a glass of beer in your hand, you know, you don't want to stop yeah. suddenly and go, tomorrow and <laughs> tomorrow yeah. you don't want to go and be macbeth at a party you want to be at a party you know.
0: yeah yeah, yeah. no that's for sure and so so yeah that's especially you know
1: about it because you're a, a magician and you know uh what happens if you have a talent for entertainment and people yeah. invite you to a party you know i'm guilty because i have grandchildren and i once Twice, no, once you volunteered the other time, but I once yeah. asked, yeah, I did. I but I did, I did, but I was aware, I did know, uh, I did know that I asked you, and I felt some guilt.
0: But, but first of all, this is different when it's your friend. First of all, when, when it's your friend asking, yes. and and that he has amazing and and so cute grandchildren, you know, it's I did it with pleasure then also because you knew and you you experienced that you asked differently and that's also something you ask from an artist to an artist is different I think it's from people who don't know what it is to feel like that and it's yeah. different they invite you I mean uh, we we invited each other many times without that it's not a problem it's just people invite you and they say oh and you bring some magic you know and if it's kind of it's the long term, like you say, it's after a while and when you're with your wife and you're like, oh, well, can we talk about, you know, life subjects too or do we have to yeah. dance in front of you? There's some some kind of uh, dancing monkey yeah. kind of thing.
1: but yeah, uh, There is that. And you know, Johannes, when I was a young performer, uh, I entertained royalty, I entertained I remember um, you told me uh, all kinds wow. of of uh, wealthy people and some of the expectations and some of the treatment I received went very deep. And many years later, um, I played Feste from Twelfth Night, which you may or may not know, but it's a Shakespeare play. And Feste is a clown, he's Shakespeare's most famous clown but he is also an employee of an aristocrat. Mm. And the aristocrat asks him to sing. And when I played that part, it was a Royal Shakespeare Company production, which we traveled around America. When I played that part, I found, I do not want to sound pretentious, Johannes, but I found my entire motivation from my own old anger, with Mm. the aristocracy from the way I was treated. You would arrive at a palace, they would send you down to the kitchen to change. When I entertained the Queen Mother's sister at a private party in London, they told me to wait outside the door and that the butler would let me in, that I was to sing to her, as much as she wanted. And when I left, I was to back out of the room. I was not to turn my back on her. I was to call her, um, your highness. And so I waited outside the door and the butler knocked on the door and a voice said, come. (laughs) and I went into the room and the door was closed behind me and I was alone in the room with this old lady sitting in a big (laughs) oak throne a huge throne and and there was a chair in front of her for me to sit on and she said young man what are you going to sing for me? Oh my god, so awkward It was I told her my first song and I sat down, she said nothing, she just sat. She was dressed in crinoline and satin and silk, white. Just like uh, uh, like the Queen in Alice in Wonderland, or is it <laughs> Alice Through the Looking Glass? And I sang one line of my first song, which was the Queen of Hearts, and it goes like this. To the Queen of Hearts is the Ace of Sorrow. He's here today. And it should go on, but he's gone tomorrow. But at that point, I saw her lips moving, and I heard a a croaky sound, and I stopped singing. And she said, young man, (laughs) you bore me. Oh, no. Yes, she did. Young man, you bore me. So I said, I'm sorry, your highness. And I stood up. And I backed out of the room carrying my guitar. I had sung half of one line of one song. Oh my god. And yeah, that's... I got out, out through the door, the man who threw the party was called Dr. Honeywell of Honeywell Computers. He was the boss of Honeywell Computers. Mm-hmm. He's long since, long since dead. And he said, he said, What happened? What happened? And I told him, and he said, Fucking women, I won't have any more fucking women at my parties. Yeah, <laughs> that's so sick. He what was, the hell? He was, okay, you're French. He was the boyfriend, he was an old man, but he, his, his partner was a man called Colonel Freddy, who was General de Gaulle's political advisor during the war um, and after the war in London. When de Gaulle in exile came to London... Colonel Freddie was his uh, political advisor. And Colonel Freddie, when I entertained at the party, was dying. He was upstairs in the house in a big four-poster bed with a purple hat on, a fez. You know a fez hat with a little tassel. <laughs> and Dr Honeywell said, you must come and sing to Freddie then. Come and sing to Freddie instead. And so I went upstairs and Colonel Freddie spoke perfect French. Okay. So I sang French folk songs. In those days I had a big repertoire of French folk songs. I sang French folk songs all afternoon to this lovely old man in his bed, this very excellent old man. It was um that was uh, uh the, the nice side of that horrible. No, day. Cool. Mm.
0: That's cool. So yeah, well you have crazy anecdotes. It's uh how do how did you end up doing those things for aristocracy for such. Um, yeah, so to, to it see it with Queen's uh, relations and
1: yeah, it happened. Um, extraordinarily, it happened um, at the Guildhall at the Conservatory. The director of music was a singer guitarist. And he was quite well known. He did that on the side, professional, I mean, and when he wasn't available for gigs, I replaced him. He, it was his idea mm. because he'd seen me do concerts at college. And so I moved straight in at a high level performing. I was earning more money a week when I was a student than my father earned in a month. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. By, by doing this, I performed all over the country. I did cabaret. I was the lounge cabaret at the London Hilton for four years and mm-hmm. I did nightclubs in London and so on just me and my guitar yeah
0: All oh, right. that's what you were doing in the cabaret singing and playing yeah. guitar wow.
1: yeah and 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 then I used to do after dinner speeches uh, as a guest of honor because of my work on the television mm. and then I would tell stories as well so I used <laughs> to I used to be an anecdotalist a raconteur you would say in French a raconteur with illustrating my after-dinner speeches with the guitar. And I used to get huge fees for that. Johannes, I used to be very well paid for that work.
0: You used to. I hope you still are. Otherwise, yeah, you can no. come back to that. No, I hope not. It doesn't work with me. No, but then no. I'm I'm, pu- I'm putting myself in the shoes of, of listeners and maybe... Maybe they are thinking, wow, this guy has so much confidence, you know, he would just do uh, music and singing and this and that, and whatever comes to his mind He's just doing it. I'm oversimplifying it, of course, but maybe they are thinking, wow, you can do so many things at the same time and at the same time teach and at the same time talk. And so what would, if someone says to you, um, where does this confidence come from would you give back the same answer you gave before about you need to perform or is there something else behind that i think
1: there is something else you are making me think by asking a question like that there is something else my father was a very confident public performer Mm. and speaker and he was very skilled at for instance he could talk for seven and a half minutes or he could talk for 45 minutes. Uh, And always there would be an arc of argument through his his speech. And I might have inherited that, but I certainly studied it Hmm. because I admired him for that. And it was expected of me Hmm. from maybe from the age of 14. My father used to take me every Thursday down to the church, and put me in the pulpit and make me read Shakespeare or the Bible while he went to the back of the church and if he couldn't hear a consonant I had to repeat the whole speech. Uh, I, I was trained as a speaker and as a performer by my father before I went to college so I was fortunate uh, to have a father who espoused my future career. I think Mm. there was no question that he knew I was going to be a performer um, and that was what he would have liked, what he did like that I went on um, to perform. So I think that ingredient I must pay homage to my father. Mm -hmm. I've never done that before because I've never thought enough, I've never answered that question before.
0: So the consciousness comes
1: from training. I had much training, too. From the age of 15, I studied with very famous, very great teachers. My first teacher was a a famous old baritone uh, called Ellis Keeler. And then I studied with Walter Gruner, who was a Viennese uh, baritone himself at the Guildhall. And a number of other very distinguished people. So I had a very classical... A solid education from the age of 15 to the age of 26 that's 11 yeah, years of yeah. full times voice training you know mm,
0: okay that's important because that's you know from 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 the um, exterior and someone just listening to all that they might lose confidence themselves thinking yeah but that's you know he has this gift and i i wanted to of course we all have a different gift and different gifts but also wanted to demystify part of that because i think everyone can compose with his own gift and his own capacities and there is training behind that so it's not like that i know you better than people listening to that and there is a lot of uh, learnings a lot of trainings a lot of practicing and when you were mentoring me as an actor you made me practice things about the way I talk and, and breathing and, and projecting the voice, and I was tired. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, okay, there was a lot behind that uh, on the <coughs> classical technique uh, of acting. And by the way, talking about acting, so how did you got into acting?
1: So when I, um, when I was at the Hilton, I was performing with a, a folk group who specialized in old English song called The City Waits. They're very good, they've made many records. And the singer with The City Waits, who played the lute, had a gig with the Royal Shakespeare Company, which he couldn't do. So he asked me if mm-hmm. I wanted to do it instead. I did that one gig and immediately they offered me um, an American tour, a Swedish tour, and a European tour with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Wow. In a great production called The Hollow Crown. Uh, in which I worked only as a singer minstrel. I played the guitar and the lute and I sang. Hmm. But they recognised that I had um, acting skills because of the way I sang and the way I performed the songs. Hmm. And so they started to offer me other work. And I was very, very keen, I was very keen to do that. And so that's how that came about and then i became an actor really and i i stopped having a music agent a concert agent and i took a theater agent
0: hmm. that's super interesting it's a mix of networks uh, of your network and then proving and showing what you can do so and this is applicable in any kind of work uh by the way so i i i, I want to Uh, put an emphasis on that for people who are not actors, who are not into music, that is something. Maybe you know a guy who knows a guy who can put you in touch and then you prove yourself and many doors can open, right?
1: And and you need to watch other people. You know, uh, now it sounds as if I'm showing off, but I'm absolutely not. I'm trying to underscore my point. For instance, I have done a lot of building, a lot of plumbing, a lot of electricity, just because I don't like paying somebody else to do it. Mm -hmm. But I learned it by watching professionals. Mm. I remember the first time I watched a plumber work, I wanted to do it. So I asked him questions, many questions. The same thing with electricity. Um, there, there are things we're not allowed to do. We're not allowed at home to do full gas installation, full electrical, uh, full plumbing installation that requires um, the company's seal or the approval of the local authority. Of course, but we can do all of the installation and stop short of the final collection connection. But if you watch people who are good at it and are as thrilled as I am at watching mm. professionalism, the same thing with writing. I had, um, I had uh, I learned to write screenplays. I mean, not not poetry. I learned to write screenplays by working on a project with a professional um, um, uh, who um, he was the he, he was the um, consultant to a film that I worked on, and I worked on a script alongside him, and realised that there's no mystique. About this, this is technique, mm. and I must learn it. So I learned it. So there um, is something and, about. And then there, I
0: wrote many, many screenplays. Mm. There is some something about, I don't know the word in English, unveiling or revealing, uh, the mystique by with the technique with observation, right? But yes. do you do you ever have blocks, or do you ever think? Oh, that's gonna be. I'm not that kind of guy. It's not for me. Or and how do you work on it? Or
1: do do you ever? Okay, I'm very practical about blocks. Okay. Uh, I don't I don't respect them. I know people have <laughs> blocks, but yeah. but of course uh, a block is comes out of a phobia uh, and can become a paranoia. We all know this. So you need to deconstruct the block. So okay. for instance, last year. Um, I, I, I like to publish a, a collection of poetry every year. So that last year, for instance, I, I like to bring out a new collection of verse every year. And I was worried last year. I didn't, I didn't seem inspired to write. I would come into the office and look at the screen. I like to write on, on a computer on the screen. I don't write with a pen on a piece of paper like I used to because I like the facility of instant editing. Um, But I could, uh, this went on for about two weeks. So I rang a friend who's a painter and I said, if I suggested to you that we do a book together, would you be interested? He's a very, very good painter. And he said, yes, tell me more. So I said, all right, you produce the painting from your existing paintings, and I will write a poem to accompany the painting. Mm. So I did two things. First of all, I gave myself an agenda with Mm -hmm. a switch off date, accountability. And secondly, I gave myself the means for inspiration. Mm. So that for instance, he gave me a picture of a woman with very beautiful eyes. So I wrote a poem called, In Your Eyes, but the poem was actually about the power of nature. My way into that poem was through that painting. After that, he gave me a painting of an egret. That's a bird, beautiful, like a a heron, similar to a heron. It's a type of heron, really. And I imagined lying on my back and seeing the bird flying over me like the spirit of somebody I used to love who may be dead. Mm. And I wrote that poem from his painting of an egret. So what I had done was to give myself two things. One, a deadline, and two, a reason for writing. So I know I sound like an old teacher now. Oh, It's interesting. (laughs) But, But I did... I, I, I genuinely did deconstruct my problem and come up with answers rather than wallowing in the problem and waiting for it to go away.
0: Mm, no, I love that. It's great. I think it's, um, yeah, you, you cannot, a lot of people, I think they wait until the block dissolve itself by magic and that never happens and then they go on to something else and they go with the flow and and they, they, yeah. they missed an opportunity that's that's um, a shame i love how you deconstructed it which made me think that alongside of all your activities you always thought there is something in you that wants to give back that wants to teach that wants to deconstruct that wants to help people Achieve their true potential, if I can say so. Right?
1: Yeah, this is true. And and strangely, I was talking about this for another reason this week, so it's fresh in my mind. Hmm. Um, I was talking about school exams, and I remembered um, that I had always been bottom of the class in history. Okay. But I had a friend uh, whom uh, I, we, we did a lot of things together when we were kids, we played together and we were going to do what were called O-levels, which is the exams you take when you're 15 in England. Now in Britain today, they have a new name, uh, GCSE, but in those days they were called O-levels. And he asked me what, if I would coach him for, the history exam because he his mother had promised him a gift or something. Okay. So I coached him and guess what? I became top in the class in history. <laughs> and I got the highest mark that anybody had ever got at the school in that particular exam. Wow. Because the examining board that I was examined in used to give marks. Most of them just gave grades. They gave marks, and I got seventy nine percent. I still remember it. But I realized then that came from teaching somebody else from deconstruction. Mm.
0: There is there, there are a couple of um, saying about that, right? There is um, I'm I'm gonna paraphrase it, but there is one saying is like uh, teaching is learning twice, and and the other saying is um, people often teach what they need to learn the most. I've heard this saying as well.
1: Yeah, that's even better. (laughs) With with the guitar and because it was my second study, I didn't have to pass exams in it, not serious exams, simple things. But when I started to teach, my skills became very much more advanced. Hmm. I became a better sight reader, which is always the problem as you know, as you play the piano. I became a better sight reader and certainly a better technician on the guitar from uh, doing masses and masses of teaching. Uh, Yeah, certainly it fed back for me into my own work. And over the years, sometimes I've helped people who had um, a block or a problem of some sort by finding somebody for them to teach.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. I love that. Mm. And and I think um, most people don't see teaching like that. They think I need to be the top expert of the, the highest level, which is paradoxically very funny that a lot of people that are at a high level, they're not the best teacher because they have a super no. hard time to mm. deconstruct it. They wouldn't know how to explain it well. And you would need someone that is less... Good, that is, is not one of the best, but he knows you, he knows wh- where you're at, he knows how to push you, what blocks you, how to de- help you deconstruct uh, your difficulties and overcome obstacles. Maybe,
1: maybe also, uh, Johannes, maybe he had had this person had not had good teaching himself. Exa- that's one. one of the guys told virus. me. That
0: one of the mm. guys told me that he told me the way I was taught is beat the hell out of this guy and and we were laughing about it but it's so true now that you said yeah that's super in interesting
1: the, in in the theater and television world of actors professional actors in london as you know um there is a center for professional actors called the Actors Center or the Actors I know Professional it. Center. <laughs> not only do you know it but you gave a very brilliant performance there which I heard a lot about that yeah. unfortunately wasn't able to see and you also taught a class there brilliantly. Yeah. And again I heard the most wonderful things about it. I um, followed perhaps, your path. <laughs> yeah maybe that's maybe that's where uh where you started where you started your mission uh <laughs> it could be working with a London audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jonas, well, uh, at the Actors' Centre, I used to, um, for actors who sit and wait for the telephone to ring, uh, which is a uh, common in the theatre, uh, and receive about one telephone call a year, are actually foolishly throwing work away. I always said to young professional, well, any professional actors who attended my workshops, as I mentioned earlier, I said, do something for your career every day because you have 24 hours a day for you. And your agent has maybe a six hour office day with a two hour lunch that, which is usually a business lunch. And if they have 40 clients and you divide six hours by 40, that's how many minutes a day they've got for you. Well, you've got 24 hours. That's number one. And number two, if there isn't work out there, you can create work. And so I used to teach a workshop called Writing Your Own Show. I taught Mm. that workshop for many years and many very good shows came out of it. And I used to give the actors my leads, places I had played, producers I knew, theaters who did lunchtime uh, theater or early evening theater. And I used to direct the actors. Once the shows were developed and good, I used to direct them towards work as well and help them. And then they would in the workshop perform for the others and they would direct each other. It was a very successful class. Because of the, firstly, the consensual aspiration of creating work, and secondly, because in itself it was doing something about the problem.
0: But it's so it's always be proactive.
1: Yeah.
0: It. I, I remember you told me that. I remember when you were uh, uh, coaching me and mentoring me. I remember you. You were telling me exactly this. the um, your little math. And this advice on you have 24 hours for you and you should do at least one thing for your career there. Remember that, and that, that helped me a lot. And actually, it's a very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial way to approach uh, an artistic um, uh, career, to approach acting. And I think many people get stuck in that. Ah, oh, I'm an actor, I'm an artist. And they don't yeah. see themselves as an entrepreneur. And I love your approach of, yes, you're an artist, but you're no different. You have a career, you're no different than another job, and you have to do something
1: to... Yeah, and, and Johannes, you know, um, I, I, I I said already that I'm 74. I still do that today. Talking to you today... And I know you're a a very successful motivational speaker and your podcasts must be watched by lots of people. I see this as an opportunity. Even though I'm trying to answer your questions and to be useful, I also know that this may be useful to me. Yeah. Yes, yesterday, for instance, yesterday I sent my most recent little collection of poems to an agent I would very much like to work with in London. This morning I sent the same little book of poems to the publisher of a very distinguished poetry magazine that I would like to publish my work. For instance, now that's already today I've done something, I've mm. done two things for my career. I've talked to Johannes Alignac, Butzi, <laughs> the great magician, and I have sent off um, a project Uh, To somebody, and yesterday I did something too. And I guarantee that there is never a day when I do nothing for my career. I keep the balloons in the air all the time, always hoping one of them will come down to land.
0: I love that. I still do. I love that. It's going to be a great quote from uh, from the show so tell us about your poetry a little bit that's one of the topics and we have all the topics to cover but we have the audio recordings that you want awards for and everything but we're talking about poetry about your work so tell us about your poetry i know that this is um i can feel there is a part of your heart in your poetry in this work is really now we're talking art there is craft but now we're talking serious inspiration and art so tell us
1: about that mm. Well, I have always written poetry, since I was a little boy, always, and I have written poetry for many reasons. I've written it uh, for love, I've written it for loss, I've written it uh, for anger, I have written it as an exercise, I have started a poem many times when I didn't have a poem in my mind. And it has turned quickly into something important for me. Um, I am interested in form. You will not be surprised to learn. Mm -hmm. I like, I very much like um, structured verse. I have written quite a lot of more prosaic free verse, like all poets, but I am particularly interested in the sonnet. I've published a whole book of sonnets. I published a book about writing sonnets how to write so a sonnet so tell us
0: tell us what uh, for for stupid people like me and and stupid other listeners uh, what is sonnets what what do you like about that how does it work
1: there are there are several forms of sonnets Johannes. but the the form i like best is the shakespearean sonnet it works very well in french by the way the sonnet. Okay. it is First of all, it is in pentameter, which means there are five metrical feet in every line. Secondly, it has a fixed rhyming scheme. Thirdly, it's mostly iambic, but not necessarily. Fourthly, it's 14 lines long, and it must finish on a rhyming couplet.
0: So it says instance, very technical.
1: Yes, it is. So, yeah. and, and in a more general way, usually you have eight lines of exposition, four lines of development of that, and two lines of conclusion, okay. or four lines of statement, eight lines of exposition, and two lines of conclusion. So it's it is complicated but i love that it's it's much much more complicated than the haiku for instance which is short and and succinct and is a very beautiful thing to craft but it's a bigger problem
0: i was, and, and I, 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 was I, say, I was about to say i was about to say we're going back to the craft again right mm.
1: yeah
0: so is, is it a hard craft to learn
1: um well i would say that I would say that you, that everybody will write poetry differently and that if I had a student I would not try to encourage them to write like me. I would try and see what their strong uh, points were and then I would foster those. So I don't think you should set yourself the problem of trying to do a certain kind of poem. If somebody has a sufficient interest in the technical problems of dealing with a complicated convention like the sonnet, then I would love to help them to do that. And I have many times done that. Even my grandchildren have written sonnets, um, and they're small, but of mm-hmm. course with my help. But uh, then I would love uh, to teach them to do that. But I I think um, uh, for instance, the wonderful Amanda Gorman, who recited at the inauguration of Joe Biden. Uh, thank God. Yeah. Uh, uh, we the back of of uh, the orange mobster, and we now have we, we now have uh, what seems to me to be very likely a, a very great man in charge, and this wonderful little black girl Amanda Gorman I saw who that, is the yeah. children's poet laureate in America and now the poet laureate officially oh. wrote this lovely piece it it wasn't structured but it was full of swinging rhymes rather like in rap um, and very very brilliantly performed and fabulous it was a, a wonderful moment His I'm performance... glad to see poetry coming forward you know
0: Hmm. it's good it's good to, to 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 put forward a young uh person doing yeah. that as well because it might not seem the, the kind of thing that is super hype amongst young people right but it's yeah. it's very interesting and so it doesn't have to be structured and no. performance is an element as well you say it was well performed yeah. okay
1: oh it's interesting i genuinely i can say for sure 100 percent, that everything i write i can hear as well Mm. When I write it, I am always interested in, for instance, somebody who, who writes for song, for singing, needs to know the good vowels to sing on. You shouldn't have a long a long note on the E vowel, for instance. Yeah. It's horrible. E is a horrible vowel to sing. Okay. R is a lovely vowel to sing. Unless you are deliberately making it ugly for dramatic reasons, Um, You need to know that. And so, as an actor writing poetry, I'm very aware of how the poems would perform and how they sound. And I I am considering a section in my next collection called Performance Poems or Poems for Performance. I am considering that. in In my book about writing sonnets called Sonnets for the Godly and the Damned, I actually talk about poetry uh the sonnet as a vehicle for performance it does interest me a lot
0: that's super interesting we're going to put a lot of links for people who are curious to know about the different books you wrote about your poetry Thank i've you. bought one um uh, under the blue under the blue us yes, yes. Uh, and i've My read it collection but i have to say i'm not the best person to mm. Um, I couldn't understand everything first of all because it's in English and it's a very um, the words are, are, are quite difficult for me. But I loved it. I, I loved it, but it's, it's it was almost too much for me. But for sure, the, I need to read more and and to get more uh, um, accustomed to that to that form.
1: Yeah, but you know, Johannes, that was in 2015, and if you got it then or soon after, your English wasn't as Masterly as it is now. I think you might find so, it now maybe, if maybe. you read it again now, some of the poems in that book are cryptic. It's true, some are difficult. Uh, but for instance, the very first poem in that collection is called The Appointment. And the Appointment is about a walk I had on our mountain, your country house, your country home, is at eh? the foot of the mountain. And at the top of the mountain, there is uh, the chateau de Frissac, where once upon a time, the mistress of Henri, uh, le Le roi de de France, uh, Henri de de Navarre, he he became king, and she was his mistress, and she lived there. She was described by a contemporary as having... Uh, des fesses, des, des, des longues <laughs> et des fesses insolentes. You need to you need to translate that in English. She had long thighs and uh, and a pert bottom or an insolent and insolent buttocks. <laughs> she had long thighs <laughs> and insolent buttocks. I love yes. this. Um, but anyway, the 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 poem is a narrative poem on New Year's Eve, 2014-15, I walked up there at midnight and I sat on the hill. It was, there was mist below me in the valley and I could see lights in the distance on other hills. And suddenly my horse joined me. He was up there with the, with the herd. Um, And at that time, I think we had seven horses and he left the other horses and came to me and Mm. stood behind me and put his head on my shoulder. And it was a moment of um, brotherhood with my horse. It was very thrilling. And the poem I wrote linked him and me with all the horsemen and horses who've gone up and down that mountain through the centuries because the, the ground floor of the chateau was built in the eighth century at the end of Roman times. And then in the 13th century, it was in the Crusades, and it was built up into the medieval chateau uh, that we know today. And suddenly, I had a sense of being part of that history. I didn't mm. go up there to write a poem, but it's, it's one of my two or three favorite poems. Um, it was inspired entirely by the fact that my horse joined mm. me.
0: And One if moment. you look at it
1: again, you'll see that it's free verse. I have it. It has a little rhyming scheme. There's, um, I, if you look at the, verse, at the verses, you'll see the rhymes, how I dot them within each verse. But it's not a classical poem. But that came very much came from the heart. And it's about the brotherhood of living things, animals and humans.
0: Nice. So... Tell us a couple of titles of your book and we put the links below. So if people want to go further, they can, oh, they can you. follow the links. Yeah, of course. So you, okay. you were talking about the 50 sonnets, I think.
1: Um, well, my most recent book is called 50 sonnets mm-hmm. and you can find it on Amazon. Um, you can, if you go to my author page, I think I sent you the link for that. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll share can, it in okay, the links. Great. Thank you, Johannes. Um That's called 50 sonnets. And the book before that contains quite a lot of poems, which are not sonnets. And that was called um, Wine and Cake and Cream. And that's a collection of poems uh, of all types. And then the collection before that was called Sonnets for the Godly and the Damned. And that is to help people who want to write sonnets, poets, Mm. Who are scared of the sonnet. It's to encourage poets to write sonnets. And the book before that is Under the Blue. And I published published a little collection of my poetry in French called Poésie, which is on my author I think page. I, saw, I don't I know think you saw got that.
0: that. I think you yeah. saw that. So I got actually one of the first books. I didn't know. I, I thought there were it was, was. Well, not my first book,
1: but you got my first published collection yeah because before that I published in magazines and things a few times I, and... wrote, I wrote a book you would love called um uh which was published in 1995 I think okay. called um um, um 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 uh theatrical letters and that is now out of print But I'll give I'll give you a copy when I see you. But there are second-hand copies. If people Google it, uh, they'll find on eBay and on Amazon they'll find second-hand copies. It's called Theatrical Letters by Bill Homewood, and it's a great book. It's a collection. I didn't. I mean, it's a collection of letters by actors and actor managers throughout four hundred years of English-speaking theatre. There's a lot of very very funny material in there, and I recommend the book. I'd, I have no idea why it was allowed to go out of print, but it did.
0: But okay. We well, put, we'll put all the links copies. and and. Hmm. Uh, Thank you. No, that's that that's super cool. I think it's it ought to to to, to be more famous to be more. Um, I I certainly uh, don't know enough about poetry um for sure for sure and so you are doing those audio recordings i'm oh, gonna
1: yeah,
0: find yeah or just because i i don't want to miss that because it's a big part of your life and you as i said in the intro you won many awards uh, for that so um let's see the timeline again you started as a musician um and slowly, and at the same time, you had this uh, a BBC show for children, and you had this solo act, basically. Uh, that's that's how we can put it. And you transition into acting, right?
1: Yeah, through through my work as a musician with the Royal Shakespeare Company. But I was by then presenting on television. Yeah. Um, and so, in a way, actors do that usually.
0: Mm. It's unusual
1: for a musician to do that. So in many ways, I was already working as an actor. Yeah. Um,
0: and then, and then, so we're going to talk about the acting thing a, a little bit after. Uh, and so from acting, how did you end up in this um, audio recording? Well, how can I say that yeah. audio?
1: Okay, well, this is, this is great for your podcast, actually, because people, there's a magazine called uh, Stage Magazine. Okay. And it has it has classified advertisements in it. And people always used to say, oh, you'll never get a job from Stage Magazine. They just put those, those in because they're classifieds and they have to do it. Uh, but in fact, um, I was looking in the back of Stage Magazine, looking for work at a time when I didn't have any work. And there was an advertisement f- from somebody saying, if you would like to read an audio book, ring this number. (laughs) So I rang the number, and a guy I didn't know answered, and he said, I'll meet you on King's Cross Station tonight uh, at 6 o'clock for a beer. He was going home from London, and so I met him at the station that night. We had a beer, and he offered me... uh, um, the Notre Dame, the the the, the de Notre Dame, what? Oh, um, Hugo's great book. We call it the Hunchback of Notre Dame, or okay. uh, uh, oh, the French title Notre Dame de. Ah, I've forgotten the t- the French title. I just cannot believe that that's happened. I'm going to Google it at the same time. Mm, yeah. Anyway, whatever it is, I can't remember. Um, and the Hunchback of Notre Dame was my first recording for him. And I did it in the studio the next day. Um, yeah, Notre Dame de Paris is
0: the title. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Yeah, Notre Dame de Paris. So I should maybe start that story again. That <laughs> so cool. I it's all right. It's good. Okay. Go on. You know and the anyway, title. So after that, he was called Nicholas Soames. And he was he had just founded um, Naxos Audiobooks which the Naxos music catalog is the biggest in the world. It's huge. Um, and he had a good idea. He was a music critic. He had an idea of founding an audiobook company within the umbrella of Naxos. So he did, and I was one of his first readers. And I worked with Nicholas for 20 years recording great, great classics, mainly French classics because I speak French I can pronounce all the proper names quite easily uh, mm. without having to look them up or change gear, you know, or clear my throat every time. Oh, mm, uh, that's cool. And then they got to the cafe and they sat down and they had a... That stuff. I don't have to do that, like, like mm. most English actors have to, So because of having French. And so I did um, all those great French classics for Nicholas... And then he finally retired about four years ago. And Maxos uh, is, is now run by somebody else um, in, in, in America and in Britain. And they continue. At the moment, I'm doing um, three books from um, La, Comédie, La Comédie Humaine de Balzac. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done Per Goriot, La Mouilleuse, and I'm about to do Le Colonel Ch- Chabert, and uh, how, long,
0: how long does it take for you to? How long does it takes? Uh, does it take to to record such? You know, some of the classics are are huge. Huge. So yeah. it takes a long time to record. No.
1: Yeah, Les Miserables, which is a fifty-two CD box set. Oh. sixty oh. or sixty-five <laughs> hours long. Wow. That took six weeks. Uh, working in the mornings i just work mornings you know i i get out of bed in my pajamas i have a studio at home i roll into the studio early in the morning before the donkeys bray before the birds sing and i do two or three hours of recording and then i go back in the house and i have a cup of coffee so Um, for people who don't know you it takes a long time for people who don't know you, I think we have to precise
0: some things that you have a lot of animals where you live, right? You have horses, donkeys, dogs, yeah. and cats. And yeah. what and is the wife. count?
1: And a wife. And <laughs> She's the noisiest of all of them.
0: We haven't said, by the way, I wanted to start by like that, but you went off. Many interesting things that I couldn't. I couldn't. uh, No, no, no. It was perfect. But you said to me, and I know you're joking about Estelle, who was one of the Mm -hmm. the the greatest uh, actress in in um, in Britain, Great Britain, in the Royal Shakespeare Company for Mm -hmm. uh, dozens of years. That she's kind of your uh, muse
1: as well, right? Yeah, I mean, she she was an iconic actress uh, before I knew her. And of course I knew her work on television and I'd seen her in all kinds of things. Uh, Estelle Kola is her name. And Estelle was the leading lady or one of the two or three leading ladies at the Royal Shakespeare Company at the time. I um, mean, Dame Helen Mirren, who is well, very famous today at one time was Estelle's understudy, for instance. Mm. Estelle goes back a long way and I admired her tremendously, and so when um, the Royal Shakespeare Company put on an evening in London, a gala evening, uh, which uh, I've got the poster on the on my wall still to remember, this day. I remember. I remember. November the seventh, nineteen seventy-six, and we did three weeks or two weeks of rehearsals for that. And Estelle was in the cast, and so was I. That's when I first met her, and then a few months later they engaged me to do um, a tour to America and to Israel and to play big festivals, the Israel Festival. I think at the time it was called the Jerusalem Festival and to do a tour across America playing huge theatres. And Estelle was in the West End in a play by Tennessee Williams, which collapsed. The play went bankrupt. Um, She was playing the lead. So suddenly she was available. So the Royal Shakespeare Company got her back for this tour, and three days later we were together, and we've never been apart since. And that was forty-four years ago. Wow! Yeah, 40, that's awesome. Yeah, nineteen seventy-six. So nineteen seventy-seven was so forty-four years ago. Mm. Yeah,
0: that's 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 amazing. And now you surrounded yourself with the, have this common passion of animals, and you have. Yeah horses and donkeys every time I come to your places. For me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a city guy. So for me, it's a bit uh, dangerous for me. But then you know, I know it that but it, it's it, it not.
1: Always, I'm so sorry. I interrupted you. I didn't mean to. It's no, it's not. Not worry. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, um, but it's always been a working partnership. Now we have the horses and we have uh, 28 acres, you know, 11 hectares of, of mountain land, of hill land. Um, uh, And that's a lot of work for uh, uh, Estelle and me, but we love it. But it started with work. Uh, Within three months of our working together, I had written a piece with Estelle, which was a dramatization of the Song of Songs from the Old Testament, sometimes called the Song of Solomon. And we took that back as a pair the following year to the Jerusalem festival, just the mm. two of us independently. And we did many, many plays together, which we wrote um, recitals and plays. And I played the guitar, I played music in, as well as acting. Um, and we, really cool. I mean, we traveled those shows for 15 years continuously. Whenever we didn't have a uh, regular work, we toured our shows. And we had agents in in New York and London booking us, but we got that. I we didn't have a silver spoon in our mouth. We chased it. We wrote it and chased it and got it.
0: Yeah, I bet. Knowing you, I bet that's that's really cool. And so, okay, so you were saying you work in the mornings, and all the animals don't bother you. That's what we were saying. And so it takes a long time. You were saying six weeks for. like the 52 Miserable. CD, Miserable. Uh, so it's a big, uh, big thing. And, no. you know, from you, I've listened uh, Le Rouge et Le Noir, the red and the black, ah. I don't know, in English. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, yeah. the red or,
1: and, the, and the black.
0: Yeah, okay, same. Yeah, um, yeah I love that. I love that. It. It's, uh, it's very vivid. So it led, leads me to my question, what makes a good audio recording? What, what you know, for me, I don't know, I'm listening, I'm like, oh, nice. But I don't know the technical, the craft again. So huh. what is what makes a good audio recording?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I do um, that works for me, which is three weeks before I start a recording, if I have that much time, I start to warm my voice up at night before I go to bed so that it's clean. Um, Mm. Because if you don't use your voice professionally for a period of time, and you have ice cream and cheese and dairy products and stuff, it it can get a bit husky. So first of all, I look after the voice and I get it good. It takes me three weeks to be perfect, but I can make it good enough in about a week. Hmm. Secondly, I sit close to the microphone, very close. Actually, 32 centimeters from my mouth to the microphone. Exactly. I have the microphones offset slightly to one side, and I have the script on an iPad so that I can scroll it with, um, what's it called, with a thing. Instead of my finger, I use a, whatever it's called. I can't think yeah. of the name. Like a pen. A little kind little of- on the end. Okay. Yeah, I I forgot this one. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, the reason for that is so there are no page turns to edit out Mm. the noise of the page turning. Then I use an app called Iannotate and I put it as a PDF into Iannotate so that I can then, if I have to say the same thing three times because I trip on a word or if I have to stop and do some research, or check the original translation because I don't believe it or whatever, Mm -hmm. then I leave the digital recorder rolling, but I mark in the script the pause, and then I have, as agreed with the producers at Naxos, a range of hieroglyphics which represent um, what I'm doing. If I have to stop for a pause, I mark it. If I have to repeat something, I mark it. Um, if I have to change the text, which is very unusual, because Naxos are very, very careful, but if I do have to change the text because of a bad translation or whatever, then I, I mark that in blue and I type it into the mm. script because the, the app allows it. But you don't want to know all that technical stuff. It's, it's very precise. There's the, a lot of precision, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and but I don't do a lot of preparation about the book. Okay. I, I know the synopsis. I always, I know the synopsis. Um, I check ahead at a glance to see if I'm suddenly going to have to read two pages of Latin or something, or Hebrew or Irish, or if there are any big deal accent jobs coming up in the, in the chapter. But I do not read the book first. I let it unfold. I sight read my recordings mm. always. I always have done. That way, I'm excited. I want to know what's next. It gives me uh, momentum emotionally and intellectually. Mm. Um, And I have to do, you know, maybe 30 to 40 minutes at a time so that the individual files are easier to upload and download. At the end of the recording, um, I upload the files to Dropbox or I send them by... We transfer or some other device to the sound editor. The sound editor takes out all the glitches. He compresses it a little bit to get rid of uh, noises um, around and so on for people who want to listen in their cars. And then they send it to a listener. And the listener checks for any mistakes I may have made with mm, pronunciation cool. or anything that the sound engineer missed. And then I do any retakes and then they produce it. It's the, the Naxos um, uh, production ethic is very, very high. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I respect the company very much indeed. And I like to work for them because uh, of this level of professionalism and of courtesy and care for their listener. They are very careful indeed. But I think what makes what what maybe what I should really say is what makes to me what makes a good recording is intimacy. Mm. Uh, I don't want to sound precious again, but I would say I think of my listener as being in bed with me. <laughs> it's pillow pillow talk. I I speak low um and that gives me room for a range I characterize all dialogue. Yeah, I remember and that. It was funny. I don't report I loved it. it. I characterize it. And uh, the problem I give myself is that if you characterize, you you must remember. Because if you have an innkeeper, uh, Monsieur le Patron, uh, of un café, and on page three, and you don't see him again until page 303, and he's 20 years older, <laughs> but on page three, you chose that he came from the North in, in the accent, in the dialect, then you've got you to gotta remember. And if it's Hugo mm. or if it's Dumas, then you've probably seen 80 people between. So you need to keep notes. And last what? year, I recorded a fabulous book called Le Morte d'Arthur, Le Morte d'Arthur, uh, incorrect French, but medieval. Um, a fantastic book. It's the Legend of King Arthur, and I recorded that for Naxos. That too is huge. I don't know. It'll be. It's out now. It's a double box set, about that big. I don't know how many CDs. Um, uh, I recorded that, and it had uh, 150 different characters in it. Wow! And I had to distinguish between knights and damsels. And dragons and sorcerers and and so on
0: no it's a big work it's a big work i i know i really advise people to to listen to at least one of your audiobooks because for me actually i think you got me into audiobooks because uh, it's the the first time I, I i listened to audiobooks i think it was yours uh, and then i listened to many others on different topics but 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 then I, I don't read and I don't listen to a lot of um, stories and novel and, and classics. It's more about uh, self-development. Um, but I I came across one of the recordings, and I don't say that to flatter uh, your ego or whatever, but I came across another guy and I was like, he cannot do the voice like Bill does the voice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, like <laughs> I was
0: it. like, I like it. it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that we can feel... of first of all we can feel the intimacy that we're talking about and we can feel definitely the uh, uh, it brings a lot of value that you have this acting background and that you can really bring the emotion to the character it's not just the voice you know it's just uh, it's really so yeah it's it's pretty cool if you have if you guys have the chance to 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 check the book um one of the audiobooks i i highly recommend it i highly recommend it so i'm i'm not gonna uh take too much of your time i know you're losing some light here and 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 we have been for one and a half hour already so yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty it goes pretty fast which is longer than any other other episodes which i'm happy about about that and i, I we didn't talk too much about acting. We talked about here and there because your career was really multidimensional. And uh, I had one question that I really wanted to ask you about acting. So I'm going to come back to that, which is, we can say maybe the center of your career, (laughs) acting and things gravitated about that. Yeah, And there's something you told me a while ago, you said to me, Acting is a beautiful craft, but it's a horrible job. Did I say it right? Was it like that?
1: I don't remember saying that, but it can be a tough job. But yeah, yeah. But you, you know, s- do you still think so? Um, it's. I I probably, I probably was trying to put you off, doing <laughs> it because because I think if we want to do it, then nobody can stop us. Mm. And so it is not a bad thing to say to somebody, I don't recommend it because it's a lot of work for very little money. Very, very few people earn a living wage as actors. Something like 94% of actors are out of work most of the time. And only, I think the figure was 16% of actors can truthfully say, Uh, of professional actors can truthfully say that that is how they earn their living throughout their career so it's a very tough profession but if you want to do it nobody's going to stop you Mm. Uh, my inspiration throughout my acting career has been my estelle Um, uh, um, uh, i can truthfully say Mm. that to see estelle on stage thrilled me so much that's what i wanted to be And working with Estelle on stage was always very thrilling. I've worked with a few other actors who affected me in the same way. And I would say that's got a lot to do with it too. The joy, if you're going to do it and you do do it, then the joy is not only a solo thing. The joy is the collaboration and the teamwork. And sometimes what I have with Estelle on stage is the magic bounce off another person who is giving all the time, giving to the audience, giving back to you, responding like a tennis ball that keeps Mm. coming back at you. And you've got to keep batting away. It's fantastically exciting. And so I would say, yeah, it's a difficult profession. I wouldn't recommend anybody to go into it. but If you want to go into it, nobody's going to stop you. And if you do it, it's fantastic.
0: Do you think it's harder today because there are a lot of more actors or did the the, the, land, the landscape changed or something like that?
1: You mean pre-COVID? No, no, no. I mean no, is, I mean
0: no, I mean yeah. I mean 30 years ago versus today. We're not talking about COVID.
1: No, I think it's better today. Okay. Because it comes back to our talk about being multi-talented like you. Um that is respected today. Mm.
0: Uh,
1: when I was a young singer. Um, there was an attitude to actors singing. Mm. Uh, So that if you were in a show um, and they gave a part to somebody who was an actor and you were in a musical show, then you didn't always feel respect for their singing um, and it wasn't always very good. And if you were an actor and you were in a show uh, in which one musician had to do some acting, you would have a similar attitude. But I've seen that change. Mm -hmm. What used to be called musical comedy is now called musical theatre. And in the West End, once COVID is over and all the shows open again, the stages of the West End in London and in Paris are filled with people who can act and who can sing. And in many cases who can dance and in some cases who can do magic. You know, true. I think we live in a multi-talented world where multi-talent mm. is respected. And I think that has been a positive thing. So I would say it's probably a better world today for the actor, though I know it's still very tough. Of course, I worked at the Conservatoire in Montpellier, a very great uh, French drama school, um, conservatory. And I've seen, I've kept in touch with many of my students from when I was teaching there. Today and a good percentage, because they were already a remarkable group. Um, uh, but a good percentage are still working, but only a minority are still uh, working professionally in the theatre in a substantial way. So it's still mm. a tough profession.
0: It's interesting. And how how did you how did you solve that identity? That problem that identity feel, if I can say so, of being a multi-dimensional, multi-talented guy uh, that you are. How did honestly, you? Yeah. How hmm. did? You, yeah.
1: No, sorry. I once again, I keep doing it. I'm, I'm so keen to interrupt you all the time. <laughs> no, always, always. I was, I other. was finished. I was trying it's to precise. So more. But I tell you honestly, by anger and my own rejection of things what i did was i said i'm not a singer now i'm an actor i got a theater agent i got rid of my concert agent i refused Mm. concerts i stopped booking musical work i just did the classics until i was accepted and then i started to take musical theater jobs in the west end things like grand hotel and Jesus Christ Superstar and um, uh, Phantom of the Opera, those sort of shows, I did did, um, uh, uh, those shows and felt okay about it. But that meant I'd grown up, I think. I think I was maturer and the world had changed a little bit um, and there was no longer suspicion of and hostility towards multi-talented people. So I think many things went hand in hand, but I can genuinely say that I did it at first by simply rejecting music. I went from being a concert singer. You cut. The, I specialised in lieder, German lead. Um, I sang a lot of lieder and quite a lot of what we used to call chanson, uh, the the French um, uh, 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 art songs that baritones like Pierre Bernac, the great Pierre Bernac would record in France. He was uh, an an influence on my own work. And one of my teachers was a protégé of Bernac himself. And so there was something of that handed down. But I went from that world to the theater and to be taken seriously in theater, I had to, in those days, I had to push that away. I don't think it would be the same today. I wouldn't feel the same fear of being um, of of not being taken seriously as an actor mm. uh, today I think things have changed Johannes
0: that's great so um, I'm gonna leave you to your uh, things I taking so much of your time already uh, it's great I want I want people to know uh, where they can find you on Twitter Facebook I don't know what, what are you on.
1: Uh, On Twitter, I'm called, yeah, on Twitter, I'm called at the Facebook poet. Okay. And I do that deliberately because then I can link people to my Facebook poetry page. I have, obviously, I have an ordinary Facebook account, but I have a page I manage, which is called, wait for it, facebook.com slash Bill Homewood's poem a week by me for you. All one word. <laughs> we'll put it in the link. Poem A Week by me for you. And and every week I post a new poem I've written um, on that site. Occasionally, instead of a poem, I put up an advertisement for one of my books or something. Yeah. To, because the whole idea is to get people to know about my poetry and to buy my books, which they can then order on Amazon. Course, yeah. So that's how I use it. I literally use... I think we must be entertaining if we do Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. But my, I have a criterion. I have an aspiration. It is to persuade people to buy my books. <laughs>
0: no, but it's uh, I'm sure it's great to to follow you and to to discover all your your poems every week. So we'll put all the links below. Um, thank you, Jonas. I want to say no. I want to say thank you for everything um you've been a, an amazing inspiration for me before the podcast long before and in this podcast as well I learned many things so i'm, I'm gonna re watch it re-listen to it and for people who wants to listen to it or to your audiobooks or anything all the links are below um they're gonna be a lot of links uh, considering everything you did so thank you again bill And um, maybe I see you on another another time on the Creativity Podcast. Oh, I
1: hope so, Johannes. I really hope so. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Have a great day. Bye -bye. Bye bye.